Welcome to episode 40 of the Energy Balance Podcast, where we teach you how to live without constant hunger and cravings, fatigue, brain fog, poor sleep, and all sorts of other low energy symptoms by maximizing your cellular energy. I'm Jay Feldman. I'm a health coach and independent health researcher. And joining me again today is my good friend, Mike Fave. Mike and I have been studying health together for a long time now, and Mike also draws on his experiences from working within the healthcare industry. Today's episode is part one of what will be a two-part series discussing women's hormonal health, and today we'll be talking particularly about why estrogen and birth control are not the solution. We'll discuss why estrogen dominance is one of the primary drivers of reproductive issues in women. We'll be discussing the cost of suppressing hormonal and reproductive symptoms by using birth control. We'll be talking about whether symptoms like breast soreness, bloating, cramps, heaviness, mood swings, migraines, PCOS, fibroids, and endometriosis can be resolved by correcting the underlying dysfunctions present. And we'll also discuss why these symptoms aren't simply genetic and they don't, again, they don't need to be suppressed by uh, using medications or, or hormonal contraceptives like birth control. We'll also discuss why estrogen is not the female hormone as it's made out to be and is instead better classified as a stress hormone. And lastly, we'll be discussing the healthiest form of birth control and contraception. If you're new to this podcast, then I'd highly recommend after listening to this episode, you go back and listen to episodes one through seven, where we take some time to set a foundation as far as the bioenergetic view of health is concerned. To check out the show notes for today's episode, head over to jfeldmanwellness.com slash podcast, where I'll link to any of these studies or articles that we referenced throughout today's episode. And if you are struggling with any symptoms as far as hormonal health is concerned, whether that is any PMS-related issues or any of those symptoms I mentioned earlier, including uh, symptoms like PCOS, endometriosis, fibrosis, and then those other menstrual cycle-related symptoms, or if you're dealing with any other low energy symptoms like gut issues or digestive dysfunction, constant cravings and hunger, low energy or fatigue, chronic pain, weight gain, brain fog, poor sleep, or any other symptoms or chronic health conditions, then head over to jfeldmanwellness.com energy where you can sign up for a free energy balance mini course where I will walk you through the main things that you want to do as far as diet and lifestyle are concerned so that you can maximize your cellular energy and also explain why that's the key to resolving all of these symptoms and conditions. So to sign up for that free energy balance mini course, head over to jfeldmanwellness.com energy. And with that, let's get started. All right. So looking throughout history at kind of female hormones and medications and that have been used for for women's hormonal issues or or imbalances or uh, issues with their cycles. You know, you could really say that women have gotten the short end of the stick for sure. In that, there's been a lot of. I mean, we we talked about this in a previous episode, talking about some of the the failures of modern medicine and the influence of industry, and that's really prominent in the case of female hormones, female contraception. Uh, various medications that have been used for to supposedly support women's health and you know rebalance hormones and uh, you know and also on the psychological side too which we don't talk about as much today but uh, you know using all sorts of medications or hormones or whatever to 
cure hysteria, things like that when women would be emotional. Uh, you know, and, and so what we'll we'll kind of be discussing is that so much of what we're told as far as women's health is really backwards and has come from the influence of industry and wanting to be able to sell certain medications and hormones and uh, market them for certain issues that they really either have nothing to do with or more cases than not actually make worse uh, or can just suppress symptoms and then make issues a lot worse later on. And so it's led to a ton of issues as far as kind of women's health goes, as far as menstrual cycles, as far as uh, all sorts of related conditions, uh, fertility related issues or infertility, PCOS, uh, extremely like extreme PMS symptoms, uh, you know, a lot of like heaviness and pain for uh, for women's periods, just all sorts of, you know, and then the whole breast cancer industry and and that whole side of things as well. And so it's, uh, yeah, I mean, in, in many ways, it's, there's a lot of misconceptions uh, as a result of all these things. There's a lot of accumulative negative health effects in that regard because of all these things. So I think it's really helpful to try to elucidate some of where things went wrong and how, uh, you know, kind of trying to build some of that accurate picture so that, you know, women can actually restore their health and fertility. And, you know, it's something that I see extremely commonly working with clients where there's all sorts of uh, symptoms related to these, to these things. And so much of it is coming from if, you know, more often than not, women are, have a history of themselves using birth control and and other um, kind of hormonal, you know, a lot of it's not even birth control. Some of it's, you know, menopausal hormone replacement, which in many ways can be just as bad. And sometimes it's other sorts of hormonal replacement to reduce symptoms like hot flashes or heavy periods or uh, whatever it is. And so anyway, I see these issues so commonly. And, you know, when when the right information is uh, applied, they actually aren't in general. These symptoms aren't typically too difficult to rectify, but it requires basically flipping most of what's talked about as far as these hormones and as far as women's health. Uh, on its head. So yeah, it's, that's kind of, you know, I guess what we'll dig into is, is how this all got uh, flipped backwards more or less. Yeah. I mean, I know they're not using DES anymore, which is something that you mentioned as part of the initial estrogen industry, but they are still using a lot of different contraceptive compounds, which includes synthetic progestogens. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also different estrogens and sometimes they're in combination and sometimes they're by themselves. Uh, most of the time if it's by itself, I'm pretty sure it's a synthetic progestogen and that's important for this discussion because in the industry, the synthetic progestogens are often labeled or discussed in research as the normal progesterone, but they have a little bit of different effects because the structure of the compounds are modified. So some of the effects ha- are more similar or more akin to estrogen. So those, those sort of get grouped in in our conversation to some extent, even though when you go into the minutia between them, there are differences. Um, but I think the first thing that's just important to point out is a lot of young women in their teens are put off right on the bat on birth control. And the thought of giving young men testosterone at that age group and disrupting their hormonal profile is like 
it's known even in the bodybuilding sphere with tons of steroid use that it's something that you don't do. You you don't want to change the hormonal profile of, of a younger individual in their teens while they're still developing and and modify it with with exogenous hormones and change because we don't really know long term what the specific adjustments will cause. We don't know how it's going to affect the different systems. Will they be able to be re-regulated and whatnot? But on the flip side for women, we just, I know a lot of, a lot of girls that I went to high school with and girls that I dated and people in general, just friends that were started off on birth control, whether a combination or, um, or singular, singular compound products when they were very young, right away, they were, they were started off at like 14, 15 years old, put on birth control. And then they were on it ever since even then now into their twenties. Uh, and so then it's just, it's sort of like a double standard in my mind to think, especially because I think women's hormonal profile is probably a little bit more delicate than men's yeah. because of the whole cycling effect. There's a lot more moving pieces going on. Uh, I think in the broader picture than it, than there are for men. So just taking this one compound for X number of days in the month consistently, or these combination of compounds X number of days in the month consistently for a decade or more, starting when you're, you know, 14, 15 years old, and then thinking you're going to come off and everything's going to be fine is a huge issue. And I think that's something that's not really talked about. Um, and especially when women are first prescribed these, these compounds or even girls that are prescribed these compounds. Um, so I think that's just a, an important parallel to bring up to start. You know, you, we don't give young, young guys steroids. So why are we giving young women uh, hormone replacement? It's important to clarify too, that I think the reason why it's not acknowledged is because in many ways, the medical industry is not acknowledging that birth control has any effects other than simply contraception, which is, almost not even an effect of it. You could say it's more anti-fertility. And so when you're considering that this is the equivalent of, let's say a condom, which, you know, just to make kind of like a crude example, then yeah, why would it be a problem to have young women using this, especially if it helps, you know, re-regulate hormones and for women who are having these symptoms, they can use birth control and it, it, you know, suppresses the symptoms and makes them feel better. So it's, I think that's part of why you have that double standard is because it's not even considered to be something that's having this massive effect on hormones. It's just a contraceptive, which is ludicrous. Yeah. And even the contraceptive drugs that they developed for men, uh, I think one of them was called, uh, ment is the, that the name that they get it. I think it's trestorone or trestolone acetate was the drug. They haven't been giving it because the shutdown effects from it are so potent. And so they, they have the, it's not approved for a male contraceptive. It was being developed for a male contraceptive, but it, yeah. I don't think it went, it passed all the way through trials. So it's more of like a, a bodybuilding drug now, a sort of, and that's because it has potent anabolic effects. But again, that just proves your point besides like proves your point that you just made that the compounds have multiple other effects besides the supposed desirable effect of the compound. So Trestalone had other effects which included putting on significant amounts of muscle mass because it has, it's more potent than testosterone, but also completely shutting down the hypothalamic pituitary testicular axis. 
So I think that, and that's what it was supposed to do. And so coming off of it, I think was a problem for some people. I think, you know, even any type of steroid has a, it, when you come off, especially for young men, specifically anabolic steroids, there's a lot of anecdotal reports and there's a lot of reports in the research showing that you're having a hard time uh, having the system re-regulate itself, getting the hypothalamic pituitary testicular axis functioning again. And so I would assume that there's similar things that occur with birth control. And there's a lot of, I've seen a lot of anecdotal reports of women having issues with their cycle when they come off birth control. Uh, it doesn't regulate the right way. It's not, it's not cycling. It's not cycling the right way. They're all over the place. I've, and I've seen a few women that this happened to. So I think there's parallels between both. And I think it's important to look at it, change the perception of it. Oh, it's just a contraceptive. So, oh, it, no, it's a, these are hormones and they have multiple broad effects in the body, systemic effects in the body. Uh, and that's why we've seen some of the, and we'll, I guess we'll get into it, some of the increased risks that come with some of the hormone replacement. And so you have increased risk with the different uh, synthetic progestogens. And then also with cancer, the main ones was the, and like the startling example to start was the effects of cancer in future generations that DES created, and not only cancer in female generations with ovarian cancer, um, but also increased testicular cancer in the male generations, and then formation of hypospadias, which is a genital malformation where the urethral openings and different areas on the penis in generations of following the mothers who had been administered DES for pregnancy. So yeah. it's important to, to realize that some of these hormones have effects like generationally as well as system systemically. And they're very broad and it's not just, Oh, for DES is, Oh, it extends your pregnancy and that's it. Or for birth control, it's, Oh, it's just a contraceptive and that's it. There's a lot more that goes into the picture and those, those things need to be considered. Yeah. Yeah, so you mentioned DES. Let's let's kind of back up a little bit. Talk about where which DES is where a lot of this these estrogen ideas started. At least you know as far as marketing and industry. And so let's start there and kind of work through up until now with, with the hormonal contraceptives. I mean, just to start as far as kind of the industry behind estrogen and progesterone, the idea that estrogen is the female hormone came about. You know, like basically i mean at least it's postulated from the industry and marketing standpoint that part of the reason why estrogen became marketed as the female hormone is because it's a lot more lucrative compared to something like progesterone where it's very cheap to produce there's many 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 different compounds that have estrogenic activity and we'll talk about why that is and it's basically because estrogen is a stress hormone and so in order to create effects that are similar to estrogen itself. You can use anything that's generally stressful. And that not to say that estrogen doesn't have particular functions in the body, but we'll, we'll get to it. So anyway, that's whereas uh, with progesterone, it's very hard to mimic those, those effects. And we'll talk about how the progestogens do mimic parts of those effects, but also come with a ton of downsides and other effects that are more estrogenic. Uh, so we'll, we'll get to that, but basically that kind of led to estrogen being the quote unquote female hormone and all of the results from that being these various forms of estrogen medications 
that have caused all sorts of issues uh, and yet are still prescribed in various forms. So you mentioned DES, and that's where a lot of this started back in the 1940s, where it was basically marketed as the cure-all as far as women's hormonal health went, whether it was menopausal symptoms or uh, menstrual-related disorders, you know, issues with the dysregulated cycle. And then also, too, it was used during pregnancy to prevent miscarriages. And you discussed how this ended up really being, you know, causing all sorts of really nasty, terrible effects, not only to the women taking it, but also to their uh, their children and then children following. And basically, this was similar to the birth control pill now, although, I mean, birth control now is probably given even more ubiquitously. Uh, DES was prescribed a ton, yet there was throughout the decades that it was being prescribed, there was various research coming out suggesting that it was increasing risk of cancer, increasing risk of uh, heart-related issues and pulmonary issues. And, uh, you know, pretty significantly in every, you know, basically once it got to a point where it was starting to become acknowledged that DES was problematic, then they started just switching their their stance and marketing it towards other, uh, for other issues, like other women-related issues like osteoporosis. And eventually it did get to the point, which wasn't really until uh, 2000, you know, 60, uh, 60 years later. So, so 1976, the FDA started requiring warning labels for DES, but following that it still was marketed for osteoporosis and used off label for heart disease as well with very little or basically no evidence. And then eventually the evidence came out showing that it didn't reduce heart disease risk, but it did increase the risk of blood clots. And basically, by the time that these studies came out in the early 2000s, they kind of stopped prescribing DES and then moved on to a bunch of these other synthetic uh, estrogenic compounds and synthetic progestogens as well. And yeah, we're, I mean, that's kind of led us into the modern era where for a while they were showing, you know, they were using estrogenic compounds to supposedly promote pregnancy, prevent miscarriage, and then they started marketing it as something that prevents pregnancy. Uh, which I think is, I guess, a more accurate way of, of viewing it. But the, as you mentioned, even if you were to say that all it does, you know, that it does prevent pregnancy just as a, in the same way that contraceptive would, it does have all these side effects of completely dysregulating those uh, hormonal pathways and systems. And, you know, in reality, I would say that it's more of dysregulating the hormones first and that leading to uh, basically infertility, if you want to think of it that way. Um, basically where you can't support pregnancy and, and you alluded to as well, these issues that people begin to have when they get off of, uh, birth control, which is now such a common phenomenon that they've given it a term of post birth control syndrome. And it, it's, a uh, just like post SSRI syndrome and post, uh, benzodiazepine syndrome and, you know, all these post some pharmaceutical intervention syndrome. <laughs> that are just on the back ends of the internet on some random forums where people are all having all these issues, but they're not, or like post finasteride syndrome. Mm. <laughs> I just, I'm sorry to interrupt. I just find no. it funny because like there's all these classes of drugs that are supposed to be so helpful. And then all these people cannot get off of them without developing these huge amounts of issues. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and of course it's never blamed on the, the drug or medication or compound no, itself. No, it's the person, obviously. It's the individual's fault. 
that they decided either to take the drug or their body's genetics just don't work with the drug the right way or some random reason like that. Or it's just such a small percentage, minus all the people online complaining about it. Right. Or along with it is this idea that whatever the medication or drug was, was so beneficial that now that your body's without it, it's experiencing these symptoms. When in reality, it's it's more of the opposite where these drugs, and, and it's interesting that there's so much overlap between the SSRIs and these estrogenic uh, birth controls and, and other compounds, because they they both work in very similar pathways. There's a lot of overlap physiologically, and in many ways, they're suppressive hormones where they are really effective at suppressing various symptoms. But, you know, as we know with things that suppress a symptom, when you stop it, then you end up experiencing whatever that symptom or, or issue was or dysregulation was many fold stronger. And so that's really what I would say is, is going on there. And it's, you know, another um, another kind of set of nutrients or compounds or whatever that fall into that category would be PUFA, specifically the omega-3s, where, again, you, you have this kind of suppressive effect, this immunosuppressive effect, this somewhat anti-inflammatory effect all through increasing stress hormones. And, and it does lead to temporary relief, which is why even though birth control is used as a con, you know, is used like on label as a contraceptive, it's used for basically nowadays, it's used for any symptom that a woman could have, uh, you know, anything horm like sometimes it's, you know, oftentimes it's cycle related, whether it's PCOS or really heavy uh, menstruation or, you know, pretty significant PMS symptoms, but it's also just used for, for various other, you know, acne as well, uh, various other issues that, you know, women tend to experience and it's just, it's used more or less off label as like this, this kind of catch all, uh, beneficial or, or like, I mean, remover of these symptoms, but it really is just doing it through this suppressive means again, much like the mega threes, much like serotonin and, and SSRIs. Well, yeah, it's shutting down the whole hormonal system. That's essentially what, what it's doing. I mean, and especially because it depends on what dose you take to recover. And so you can see similar effects happen in guys. If you shut down your hypothalamic pituitary gonadal axis, and then you don't supply the adequate amount of steroids that you just basically turned off, then yes, you will get rid of acne and, and hair loss and these other problems because you are essentially castrating yourself. So you don't have the hormonal, the hormonal compounds going in there with birth control, I don't know what the specific amounts are that would cause that would are necessary to exactly replace what a woman is cycling with. But I do know that it basically has like a shutting down effect. The whole, the point is to shut down ovulation to, sh to basically to not continue to have the woman ovulate and basically, uh, so the, the cycle gets completely dysregulated to a large extent. It, the, the, a lot of the hormones are to just stop ovulation altogether for the woman or, so you won't only have like minor periods, but it's, you're basically in a, a semi-castrated state where you're not you're not producing you're not producing your sex hormones endogenously because you're taking them exogenously and you're not cycling. Right, and it's not like you're just preventing fertilization; you're preventing ovulation, which is the hallmark of female fertility. Yeah, and happens to be really the only time in a woman's cycle when you do want a small amount of estrogen. 
is you know you want it you want that that minor spike right at ovulation other than that you don't really want estrogen to be very high at all and no. uh, that's part of where so many of the issues even begin as far as women's hormonal health uh whether it is again pcos acne you know uh pms heavy periods virtually all of these do come from you know the kind of cliched estrogen dominance and i think a lot of times when estrogen dominance is talked about it's you know, in a lot of the alternative spheres, it's it's not really well understood, and they'll try to give different forms of estrogen, like some weaker forms of estrogen, as as if that'll balance it out or something. But in reality, excess estrogen is really one of the major culprits behind yeah. all of these issues, and especially and, and, in relation to progesterone. I think right. that that's because it's a the, the, a lot of people, especially when they see some of Pete's stuff about estrogen, they think that it's a completely terrible hormone, and that you don't need any at all. And I think that that's goes with some of the stuff that goes on but there is a function of estrogen in the body there's a reason that estrogen spikes before ovulation and then that you have minor amounts of estrogen still circulating while you're having uh not ovulation but in the period after the luteal luteal phase phase. yeah there's a reason you have estrogen like having some level function while you have the luteal phase going because it has a uh like a growth a growth and division initiation or inducing effect and progesterone has a differentiation effect so you have the estrogen causing the follicle or the or the the uh the egg cell i guess you if you want to call it to to grow and divide and then progesterone stimulates it and moves it towards the different differentiated portions so you need to have both at the same time which is why both hormones are present it's not that you want zero estrogen and a uh, and a ton of progesterone because you know, then you're just going to have all differentiation and no amounts of growth and division. So, it, so there needs to be a, uh, and th- those are shorthand generalizations, but there needs to be a degree of balance. And that's something that's important to keep in mind. So yes, there's estrogen excess, estrogen excess in relation to progesterone. And a mm-hmm. lot of different things can cause that. And a lot of inflammatory states move into that direction. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, that is really, I think, key as well is that oftentimes what's happening is excess estrogen production, which we talked about estrogen as the stress hormone. So much like any other stress hormone, there is reason for that. There, You know, it is acting through this backup adaptive pathway, um, but has this byproduct of causing all these other, these other problems. And then you have often, a, as you mentioned, a, a too little progesterone production. So you're not having a that balance to protect against those negative effects of, of estrogen. And then you also end up with a lack of ability to detoxify estrogen. So that leads to even further imbalance. And when we're talking about the need for estrogen, those needs are very low. You know, um, again, you have it during ovulation, you have it during a small amount, you know, a small amount during the luteal phase. As you, as you mentioned, it is part of that kind of growth aspect, uh, as far as like on that cellular level, it does stimulate growth, but when, you know, when there's no fertilization, there's no real need for that growth. Of course, in pregnancy, you could argue that, you know, of course there is, but at that point you have such a massive amount of progesterone that you're not experiencing negative effects from, from estrogen. And so, yeah, I think it is really important to highlight that in virtually every case, when you're experiencing, when a woman's experiencing this, this hormonal dysregulation, there's excess estrogen and too little progesterone and and so uh and and so there's 
you know, there's a few things to focus on there as far as detoxifying, increasing the detoxification of estrogen, uh, helping to decrease estrogen production in the first place, helping to support progesterone production. But again, these things all come down to just the basic fundamental levels, you know, fundamental bioenergetic levels supporting the things that drive energy production, reducing excessive energy demands, which, you know, when we're talking about women, especially young women, it's so terrible how so, you know, we want to talk about some of the things that are driving these issues in the first place that are leading to women needing to be on birth control to suppress symptoms. I mean, the 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 insane dieting, the, in, you know, incredible amount of overexercising, not to mention all of the history of the whether it's DES that that parent, you know, the mother was on or various forms of birth control the mother was on and, and all these other aspects of our environment that are incredibly dysregulated. But, you know, again, the diet culture is such a huge part of that and uh, drives the drives so many of these issues in the first place. I mean, if you know, and the amount of women who are dealing with amenorrhea as well, uh, it's, you know, and it's, uh, it's only even recently becoming recognized as such a major issue. Yeah. The female exor- exercise triad or whatever yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. So now, I mean, before it wasn't recognized, but now these are all becoming things. But just to can put things into perspective. You have a mother who was 15 years old at 25, 26, 27, 28, even 30. She wants to get pregnant. She comes off her her birth control at that age after being on it since 15 or whenever she started menstruating. And I know girls who were put on it right away. Mm. And then, you know, she's exercised and she's she's dieted and did whatever for all this time. And, you know, a lot of the symptoms she didn't have to worry about because she was taking exogenous hormones. And then she comes off and she has infertility issues. And then she gets some series of treatments for infertility, maybe IVF in vitro fertilization. Then the baby comes out and the baby's bottle fed, not breastfed. And, you know, and the baby was born by C-section and whatnot. It's just yeah. it's like overall, the entire system ha- is just like a huge perversion of what actually should be occurring for with the mother and from, and this is from a physiologic perspective i'm not trying to make moral statements i'm not trying to make any type of uh i don't know judgment call it's literally yeah, from yeah. a physiologic perspective you know we're having women on birth control for extended periods of time and they're having babies later in age which increases risk of of pregnancy complications um and then complications for children and then they're having them by c-section and then the or using some type of uh, technology to induce to have the baby basically implant into the uterus because it's not working and then after that they want to come out and the babies are all uh, are being bottle fed with formula like as far as number one the mother's health to do all those things is not great and then the effect of the child is not great and then for generations going forward it's not great especially mm-hmm. and the thing is is it's not some conspiracy theory to say Oh, the, what the, what my mom did in her pregnancy is going to affect future generations down the line. This is established within the research. This is things that they looked at with the DES studies. They went through the DES study, and some of the studies show that basically down the line, and not the next generation, not that not the first child, but that the the mother's children's children, so the grand the grandchildren have effects that can be linked statistically to the use of des in the pregnancy my grandma i mean i don't have any issues individually but my grandma was given des for my dad's um for my dad's 
pregnancy, like when she was, she was pregnant with my dad. So do I have any issues currently, as far as I know, that's related to DS? No, but there's also studies that show that there are issues with it. So these effects that were, all these things that we're doing now, all these perversions from the, I guess, natural, uh, natural cycle of things, we, number one, since it has a lot of these things haven't even been around for 100 years, we don't know. And number two, the ones that have been around long enough to see an effects, they haven't really been positive. We don't have positive information on bottle feeding. There's, I can't think of any studies that show positive information for bottle feeding for the use of estrogen during pregnancy, like DES. I don't see any positive studies. And then for C-sections, I don't see much positive studies except in situations where, you know, if the cord's wrapped around the neck or any extenuating circumstances in the birth, you know, saving the baby because of the C-section. Um, and then we don't really know the effects so much long-term of the, uh, of like inducing pregnancies or having in vitro fertilization or artificial type of pregnancy situations. We don't know the long-term effects of those because we haven't seen, they haven't been around for so long yet. So, I mean, and the other thing is we have decreasing fertility rates going on in general and we have more increasing women's health issues. So I just, you know, I really wonder if, if all these different therapies that are supposed to be so wonderful for us or, or protect the, or have these such great benefits, you know, when you start looking at some of the research and you see the negatives and you start seeing the increases in cancer and things like that down the line, you know, are they really that helpful? Are these things really, is it really what we should be doing? And I think that's, I mean, that's what we're trying to get at here is what are the effects besides what, like, let's look at things that the, with their effects besides what they're supposed to do. Oh, it's just contraception. Well, the studies show that there's other system, systematic long ranging effects that cross generation. So let's start considering those things. Um, and then the other thing is when we use these things as band-aids for other issues, what's going on with those other issues? If you're mm -hmm. having acne, you're having PCOS. You're having, I don't know, you're having uh, the female triad with amenorrhea or you're having issues conceiving. Well, what's, what's actually going on? What's causing those issues instead of just putting another Band-Aid solution? If, you're, if, you're, if your body is not taking um, or not allowing you to get pregnant and then you're using some combination of synthetic hormones and in vitro, do you really think that long-term that's great, that's good for the baby? Because if your body couldn't handle producing a baby already is that a signal that the environment in your body is not ideal for having a baby and whatnot i'm not saying that you shouldn't have the baby but what i'm saying is is what's underlying that's not allowing you to do that and can we address that instead what's causing acne in your teens can we address that instead what's causing amenorrhea can we address that instead what's causing the pcos can we address that instead instead of just castrating and, and then adding in endogenous hormone yeah yeah it's, I mean, it's, and not only is there like the, that we're not addressing the root cause, but also we're covering up a symptom. And this is, I mean, this is what you're getting at is that you're covering up a symptom of suboptimal health and basically just ignoring it. You're not fixing it. And so uh, there's definitely a cost there beyond the costly effects of what we're using to suppress uh, those symptoms. And another thing you're getting at too, is just this idea that medicine and science has become so advanced that that female hormonal health can just be really easy and convenient where 
you know, you don't have to experience your period at all or any symptoms. Not that you should experience symptoms. It should be pretty easygoing and, and not a problem. I mean, there should be, a, there's going to be a little bit of discomfort with, with things with, you know, menstruation in general, but it's, it shouldn't be debilitating like we have right. today. That's, I would say that's a sign of pathology, but I don't, I'm not a woman, so I've never experienced it, but I can only imagine that it's probably a bit uncomfortable, even if you didn't have a lot of symptoms and just from watching family members and girlfriends and whatnot go through it. Yeah. Nowhere near as uncomfortable as it is for the vast majority of people, both yeah. on the mood side, which we, again, you know, we talk about this is it's like joked about and, and acknowledged that mood is so dysregulated by these hormones and it is. And then, you know, a whole other idea is the fact that birth control is also affecting mood and personality. Uh, and you know, you and I have definitely experienced these sorts of things, just being sensitive to our environment and everything, how different you can interpret the world and perceive the world when you're under the influence of certain hormonal changes or environmental changes. And yeah. women experience that every month. Most, you know, most do sometimes, sometimes around ovulation, if, if things are dysregulated and dealing with that spike of estrogen and, and especially in, you know, closer to menstruation with PMS, you know, these hormones have massive effects on how we're perceiving everything around us. And so, uh, and because of that too, it's no wonder that there's a lot of psychological quote unquote side effects of birth control, like increased depression and suicide, uh, suicidality and, uh, you know, things like that. So, and, and that's, I've seen that anecdotally quite often, uh, people who, women who have a lot of struggles psychologically with, you know, when using birth control and also just noticing noteworthy differences without it, as far as how they're perceiving things around them. Yeah. But yeah, as far as, I mean, it is worth noting that yes, there's some amount of fluctuation that will happen in a women's cycle in, in a woman's cycle, but it shouldn't be uncomfortable. Like the vast majority of people are experiencing and it shouldn't be as yeah. long. It shouldn't be anywhere near as heavy cramps. Shouldn't be debilitating. Like, like they are for so many women. Uh, you shouldn't be having these major symptoms around ovulation. And when I say should, I just mean, you know, it's not optimal health wise. And it's indicating some type of underlying pathological process. If you're right. for five days out of every month, you're completely doubled over in pain and you just feel absolutely terrible. Like there, that to me would signal that something else, something is going on. Or again, if you're not having your periods at all, it's not, you know, there's something going on. There's yeah. something that's shutting it down. And that those are things to, or the PCOS, anything with PCOS or endometriosis, there's things going on mm -hmm. that need to be addressed. It's not just, oh, you just have these things. Oh, it's just genetic. Oh, my mom was like that. So, well, well, why? But like, what is underlying that? Why are those things going on? I think that at least from my perspective and from reading too, even with the increased uh, depression and, and suicidality and things like that, this is all shown in research. Even the changes in mood, the changes in preference, like talking about, I think there was some, there was some uh, interesting studies about women using birth control actually chose partners that they weren't necessarily attracted to. And when coming off birth control to conceive, there was a, there was a, an effect on their interest in those partners mm -hmm. and, yeah. and, and it was hormone. It's all hormonally driven. So, I mean, it's important number one to recognize these things, you know, instead of saying, Oh, it's, it's this or it's that like, no, there's actually a physiologic basis for these things and hormones can change your mood, but, and then trying to see, okay, well, what's the underlying cause and how can we address the underlying cause instead of just plastering it over it with <laughs> exogenous hormone supplementation? Yeah. And, and in talking about these things being pathological, you know, symptoms of underlying dysfunction, 
you know, there are some symptoms and some issues that can be really difficult to see shift. And generally with women's cycles, I don't find that to be the case. It's one of the things that I see shift pretty easily when you shift the environment into a more beneficial way. Sometimes that can involve, you know, after making various nutrition changes, diet changes, uh, you know, lifestyle exercise, all of that sleep, uh, supplements, sometimes using progesterone as a supplement too. I mean, these things can pretty quickly and easily resolve, uh, you know, which it's it's just incredible how far we've gone down this <laughs> this harmful direction that um just making just you know making some some changes can very quickly lead to a lot more you know much smoother cycle and i want to get back to this this idea that you know that i mentioned a bit earlier as far as like the convenience and this idea that medicine has advanced so far that you know we basically don't have to, you know, we, I mean, women don't have to experience their periods until they're ready to get pregnant, at which point they can just, you know, stop taking that hormonal contraceptive and they can, uh, you know, and then they can, if they're having, you know, any trouble with, with getting pregnant, as you mentioned, like in vitro is an option. Of course, it's a very expensive one and one that most people can't deal with, but if not, there's, you know, pro fertility drugs for that are used. And then, uh, surrogacy and all these other crazy expensive things right right well and then and of course like the fertility side of things is is becoming such a major issue but uh but anyway so then beyond that you have this this uh you know you have pregnancy and you have all of this like prenatal the prenatal vitamins and nutrition which for the most part is all pretty pretty terrible uh some you know some of it's okay but eat whatever you want just take this vitamin with folic acid you'll be fine and some iron (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah folic acid and iron that's that's all you need um and then and then you have the you know i think you kind of alluded to it but like we, how common c-sections are to the point where it's not even acknowledged that there's any difference between that and a natural birth so you might as well just schedule your pregnancy and you know so that you can go on vacation <laughs> right right so it's just more convenient for you, you know medicine has advanced so far that you can just you know you might as well just schedule your pregnancy for when it makes sense uh you know and you can induce uh delivery or you know c-section or whatever and then afterward you know you don't have to go through the discomfort of breastfeeding and you don't have to deal with all this excess weight you can just start losing weight right away you know there's these billion dollar industries towards helping women lose weight as soon as the baby comes out and then you don't have to breastfeed because there's formula for you which is scientifically better you know it's it's made to be better than our own natural breast milk it's got so many things in it that your breast milk doesn't even have like soybean oil yeah soybean oil and a lot of iron and vitamin d and things you know Um, (laughs) so yeah so it just become like this this idea of and again we we talked about this idea of this excessive trust in the medical system and the idea that uh that we can you know it's kind of goes along with the suppression but that we don't need to experience any discomfort because medicine has come so far and there's no cost to, to these things and I'm pretty sure the U.S. too has one of the worst uh, child mortality rates for the yeah. developed countries, with yeah. despite all this technology. But the research also shows poor outcomes for a lot of this technology. There's problems with C-sections. There's problems with not being breastfed. There's problems with induction of labor. There's problems with epidurals with labor. Not only for and these are all not only for the mother, but for the for the baby as well. There's yeah, and it, it's I think. You know, there's this book and it's the Weston A. Price Foundation. I'll always 
touts the information, but if not not looking from the foundation's point of view, but looking from the from Weston A. Price, the dentist who's who the foundation is based off of, reading his work, Nutrition and Physical Degeneration, they talk about the importance of having the mother and the father eat a, a good diet for some months before pregnancy and then having the pregnancy at a certain time and then making sure that the baby was breastfed and the mother had a special diet while the baby was being breastfed. Like everything was planned and mm -hmm. you couldn't have the kids. The kids were spaced apart in a certain amount of time. Uh, I think it was like two years in different in certain cultures so that the mother's body could heal and stuff like that. And so the focus was on doing things the right way. <laughs> you know, it wasn't about it wasn't about in vitro. I mean, obviously, you know, but the focus was making sure that the woman ate well, making sure that the woman, uh, you know, the father ate well, making sure that the, the woman had a good diet when the for the when she was breastfeeding the child and then making sure that the child ate well when it was growing up. So that had a strong foundation. Now it's just all these Band-Aid solutions just slapped together left and right. It's like it's like just putting the duct tape some here, some duct tape over here, some duct tape over here instead of addressing any of the underlying situation. And then you wonder why we have decreasing fertility in general, not only for men, but for women. Poor outcomes in one, one of the wealthiest countries for childhood mortality and then increases in all these random reproductive cancers and autoimmune diseases for children and cancers in children. All this, all these absurd diseases that were unheard of in over the past hundred years. And it's, and then the idea is like, oh, technology is going to save us. And it's like almost as if the more technology technology we involve in the situation, the more we try and co-opt the process, the it, it the worse it's getting to some extent. I mean, oh, we're just gonna we're gonna we're gonna go and we're gonna reduce all the components in breast milk, and then we're gonna you know we're gonna synthesize them like uh, chemically in a lab synthetically, and then we're just gonna reconstitute the formula. So that, you know, after you feed your, your children, your breasts don't get saggy at all. <laughs> it's just like the, the entire process is just, it's, all, it's, it's such a perversion of, of, at least from my perspective. I mean, again, this is not, it's not supposed to be a, a moral argument. It's not, no, we're not here to tell people what to do, what's right and wrong from any moral or behavioral perspective. It's purely from what we're looking at in the research and what we're looking at physiologically and just saying, you know, they're just starting to find out that there's different components within breast milk that help to form not only the immune system, but the microbiome in the intestines. It's like, mm -hmm. okay, so you're finding this out now. What happened to the other generations of children who got crap formula? And it's known, it's known that certain batches of formula that were produced led to tons of issues with children, including death, because they weren't balanced correctly for what the child needs. You can't just take soybean oil and a bunch of synthetic vitamins and some random algae oil and probiotics and you have, bam, it's breast milk. It doesn't work that way, especially because they don't even know all of the components of breast milk yet, what, they, what they're for, how they interact. So these Band-Aid solutions, you know, they're, they're extremely reductionistic and they don't get to the, and this is not only for breastfeeding, it's not only for C-sections and, and labor induction, it's not only for epidurals during pregnancy, which have their own issues with, female, with, with the women and the baby. It's not only for amenorrhea or PCOS, or it's, it's for all of these things, for everything from the beginning, you know, and to think that you, you're, the other thing is, is 
to think that as a, as a parent, you're going to sit here and you're going to do all these interventions and then your kid's going to come out and then your kid's not going to have any issues going forward. And then they're going to have to wind up using more intervention and more intervention. It just, it's like a snowballing effect down the generational line. And you see that with the DES studies. Mm-hmm. And so the, we have to start looking at these things past what they're advertised for. Oh, DES extends your pregnancy. It's like, okay, so what are the other effects? Oh, birth control. You can have kids whenever you want. Don't worry about that, that period stuff. You don't have to worry. Well, <laughs> it just gets rid of your period and you don't get pregnant. And then when you, you get off of it and then you're fine, it's like, okay. And then any of the people are saying, well, I got off and I'm still having trouble getting pregnant. Oh, that's just you. Oh, that's just, don't worry. That has nothing to do with the birth control. We'll just My, get back on birth cycle, control. <laughs> yeah. You know, do some in vitro and then get hop back on birth control, you know? what are the long ranging effects and the research is pretty clear about a lot of some of the long ranging effects. And I mean, and that's what we're talking about with the cancer and the increased risks of cancer significantly with DES. Then there's increased risks of cancer with the synthetic progestogens. They don't perform well compared to natural progesterone. And you have a whole bunch of alternative health doctors talking about natural progesterone and being called quacks compared and compared to the pharma industry and then the pharma industry has then there's research showing that things like depoprovera and level uh, all the different synthetic progestogens don't perform as well as progesterone as far as cancer risk and it's like oh well they're still quacks oh that not not these studies it's only a small increase in risk it's just you know a lot of, they're not talked about the overall perspective of these things aren't talked about like the long-ranging effects, the systemic effects, it's such a minute area of, oh, well, this will stop you from getting pregnant, and then you come off of it, and you're fine. It, it's, we need to start looking, well, there has to be broad-ranging effects. Stopping pregnancy is, <laughs> that's a pretty, when you think of how essential pregnancy is to, you know, our lives in general, and, you know, bringing babies into the world, and as far as, like, our species in general, yeah, yeah by, from a biological perspective, like to stop it, there has to be some significant things going on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, and you brought up a good point that I, I think we touched on earlier, but it's worth emphasizing is, as far as the progesterone research goes, is that as soon as, you know, they noted that some of these synthetic progestogens have similar effects in certain ways to progesterone, they started entirely conflating the two where, now, any effects attributed to progestogens are then attributed to progesterone, and that's how you have uh, these ideas that progesterone either A, is not the main female hormone, which we would argue that it is, uh, but also the ideas that it has some of these negative effects and that you maybe don't want to supplement with it, and it's because of this research on the progestogens, these synthetic progestogens that are not the equivalent of progesterone, and it's very different from considering like synthetic estrogens versus actual estrogen, which do happen to be very similar. Uh, so that's definitely worth, worth noting. The, you know, another thing that you had touched on was kind of the morality here and the lack of judgment. And I do think it's so, again, important to emphasize that too, because when it comes to, I mean, anybody's choices with their health and what we've, mistakes we've all made due to marketing and industry and whatever else, misinformation, uh, you know, it can be, difficult to face those things. And it's really helpful to, to, I think it's helpful to hear that it's not your fault for making those mistakes, whether it's affected you or your children. I mean, that's, it's, we're all always going to be making those mistakes and that's okay. And that's why we're trying to bring light to this information so that we can correct it as, as much as we can. And 
yeah, it's, I mean, again, it is, it's a, it's a really personal situation when you're talking about your children and the health of your children and, you know, fertility your and hormonal all. health. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so, uh, yeah, it's totally understandable and very devastating that we are dealing with these issues in such epidemic proportions. And that's why we're trying to make light of these, you know, shed light on these things so that, uh, we can start to make these, um, improvements and advancements and, you know, actual advancements, right? Away from technology. <laughs> yeah, uh, and along with that too, you know, talking about some of these issues with birth control, we we mentioned iron a couple times, where it does the birth control itself often often contains really excessive amounts of iron, which can be very problematic. It also causes the loss of various micronutrients, vitamins and minerals like zinc, selenium, B vitamins, vitamin C, and uh, magnesium vitamin e and for some of these it actually causes the loss of them for other ones it just changes kind of the way that they are used and uh you know we were also talking earlier that it uh, increases the conversion of tryptophan to serotonin so which talking again about the overlap between estrogen and serotonin there's and histamine is involved there as well where it's kind of like this revolving door of, of uh these some of these primary stress hormones but uh yeah just to, to, you know, considering those things, considering the depletion of these minerals, considering the excessive amounts of basically a stress hormone for an extended period of time to the point that it basically stops you from having a normal cycle and it essentially inhibits fertility. Uh, you know, we recognize that in, in medical, like in conventional medicine, they've had to recognize the damaging effects of long-term corticosteroid use. I think that this would probably should fall in that same category. Uh, as far as long-term use of a, of a stress hormone, so it's no surprise that it's not as simple as you just stop taking the uh, stop taking birth control and all these issues go away. I do want to offer some, you know, a just some alternatives as far as birth control contra- contraception goes, and then also maybe some of the things that are important to consider when it comes to trying to restore uh, hormonal health and especially the balance between estrogen and progesterone. Uh, so as far as alternatives go, uh, one of the ones that's most popular is the fertility awareness method where you're, it's important to note that women are not fertile during their entire cycle. Uh, there's really a, a very, very short window where they're, where women are actually fertile and then a slightly longer window of when you would want to be careful as far as sexual activity goes because of, you know, sperm can survive for uh, you know, what, up number to f- of days. Yeah, up to like five. I think it's seven like seventy-two days. hours, right? Yeah, sometimes they say longer, and of course, this is a situation where if you don't want to have a child, you want to be safe rather than sorry. So, there's the fertility awareness method. There's some apps you can use to track it, or some some different techniques you can use that uh, I'd recommend looking into. Um, but basically, there's really only a seven-day window where you would need to be concerned or extremely careful as far as uh, sex goes if you're not wanting to get pregnant. Um, so. That I mean, that can be a pretty. I would say in general, that's one of the best alternatives as far as, um, you know, as far as birth control, you know, hormonal contraception. Of course, you also have condoms, and uh, so combinations of those and fertility awareness method and withdrawal are uh, probably the best options. They're safest health-wise. Yeah, one thing I want to point out specifically to what you just said is. In order for that method to work, you have to have a regular cycle. Yeah, so the, the most important point would be, you know, addressing getting a regular cycle. 
And I think having a regular cycle is something that is, you know, oh, my cycles, a lot of women are just, oh, my cycle's not regular. I know a lot of women that I know, it's just, oh, it's just not regular. Um, the ones that are on birth control, it's like, oh, regulated it fine. Um, I think not having a regular cycle is indicative of something going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the first things to work towards is having a regular cycle and then also having a regular cycle that's not absolutely crippling. <laughs> um, yeah. <I> those are, <laughs> so if those, if that's not in place already, then those would be the, the first goal to shoot for. Mm-hmm. Um, those would be like object, subjective, objective signs and symptoms to look for, um, to see what, you know, what's going on. And this becomes really important from a self-awareness perspective as well, because because of the change in hormones with estrogen and progesterone, if you understand how your site, what, like that you're, you know, your your the regularity of your cycle and you understand how the different hormones work in the body or just when they're peaking and when they're, when they're lessening, um, you know, for example, right before you ovulate, you're going to have a spike in estrogen. If you notice right before you ovulate that you're getting very moody and you're getting very uncomfortable then those can give you insights into what's going on with your own health as far as the balance of estrogen and progesterone in your body. And then when you're ovulating, oh, I feel great, et cetera, et cetera. And then, you know, looking at menstruation, you feel absolutely crap. Um, and you realize, oh, wow, my, my progesterone is tanked when, right when, with, estrog- with, with my menstruation. Um, so when you, you can start, it, it's not only helpful from the, from the element of, you know, when your cycle is going to be in and you can time it for fertility, but at the same time, you can time it with the different hormones and see how different things are affecting you and which hormones are affecting you what way and what are they inducing for you. And it's, um, I think that that could be really helpful from like a, if for someone who's really interested in figuring out and becoming more aware of their own health. Because while you can hire a health coach, while Jay or, or, or someone like myself or, or a doctor, whoever can help you out, at the end of the day, it doesn't work unless you are aware of yourself as well. Because you're the, going to be the best indicator of what's going on with you physically. And so for women specifically, there's a lot more to the picture than just for men. You know, for men, we don't, I mean, there's some talk about men having some degree of cycling throughout the month with their, with their androgens. There's not an extreme amount of established research in that area. But it's not to the same extent, you know, that, that women function with, with, their, with menstruation in general. And so there's a lot more delicate aspects to consider there and getting a hold of them and becoming aware of yourself is going to probably be the number one tool in, in figuring out, you know, a lifestyle and developing a lifestyle that is able to work for your body specifically and work for your context. And the overall, that's the goal, right? I mean, over, we're talking about principles, we're talking about concepts, but as, and that's why it's kind of hard for us to give blanket specific recommendations we can just talk about principles because there's a lot of individuality with people that needs to be recognized and that self-awareness and whether it's with menstruation or diet or everything and you know then starting to see the associations between diet and your cycle and stuff like that is really important to pick up on the other thing i want to point out when we talked about um the different types of uh hormones in the body it's kind of funny that when in the male space with steroids and steroidogenic compounds and androgenic compounds, there's a recognized difference in effects between regular testosterone and then synthetic drugs like Masteron or Proviron or Trenbolone or Primabolin, which are, these are all different types of androgenic anabolic steroids. Um, 
So when you see that there's a difference with all these ones, then to go and say, oh, you know, Depo-Provera and Levongestrel and Progesterone, they're all the same thing. They all function the same. It's like, it's such a hypocrisy to sit there and have all these different aspects going on and all these different types of hormones going on for men. And then for women, it's, you know, oh, they're all the same thing. And as far as like the estrogens go, they do... I wanted to point out that they do like there's a difference between estriol, estradiol and estrone, especially in the body. And that that is something to note. But as far as like the synthetic estrogens and estrogens effect overall, as far as like a, a growth and uh, to, like a growth and dividing hormone, um, what did Ray call it? A hormone of new beginnings or something like that. Mm. Um they do have similar effects in that area. And even the progestogens have similar effects in those areas. And even the, not as, as estrogen, but the, the group of progestogens have similar effects. The group of estrogens have similar general effects and the group of androgens have similar general effects. But within all of those, they have different effects in different areas. And the synthetic compounds do have, and they've been shown to have potent, potent negative effects for a lot of them. I mean, even amongst the androgens, taking some of the, the strong five alpha reduced oral androgens um, that have serious negative effects in the liver, whereas people pin or take testosterone uh, via injection in an ester form and don't develop those liver issues. So it's important to realize that despite whatever the industry wants to say, oh, progestogens and, and in the research, they want to conflate all of them together. There are differing effects and, that, and just looking at the effects of the other synthetic hormones and you can even say this when you look at the corticosteroids that they use. There's reasons a doctor would prescribe prednisone versus dexamethasone versus cortisone. They have different effects. So it's important to, to understand that the different types of hormones have different effects. Mm -hmm. All right. That's going to wrap up part one of this series on women's hormonal health. Be sure to tune into part two uh, next week where we'll be discussing the benefits of progesterone and how you can restore hormonal health. If you did enjoy today's episode, please leave a like or a comment if you're watching on YouTube or if you're listening anywhere else. You could leave a five-star rating on iTunes or a review. All of those things really do a lot to help support the podcast, and I really appreciate it. To check out the show notes for today's episode, head over to jfeldmanwellness.com podcast, where you can take a look at the studies or articles or anything else that we discussed throughout today's episode. And if you are dealing with any of those symptoms that we discussed today related to uh, hormonal imbalances, all of those reproductive-related symptoms, whether that's related to fertility or PMS or endometriosis or PCOS or fibroids or any of these other symptoms that we discussed, as well as any other low-energy symptoms like chronic cravings and hunger, low-energy, chronic pain, weight gain, poor sleep or insomnia, brain fog, gut inflammation or bloating or other digestive symptoms, uh, if you are dealing with any of those symptoms or any chronic health conditions, then I would highly recommend you head over to jfeldmanwellness.com energy, where you can sign up for a free energy balance mini course, where I'll walk you through the main things that you want to do to help to resolve these issues. And this will be centered around a bioenergetic approach. So I'll explain why energy is so integral to our health and the main things that you want to focus on, at least to start out in order to optimize your cellular energy. So to sign up for that free energy balance mini course, head over to jfeldmanwellness.com energy. And with that, I will see you in the next episode.